Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Lord, we're going to open your word, and we trust that what we hear this morning will not be a human preacher, but we will hear from your Holy Spirit, who will be the loudest voice in the room speaking to our lives, Lord. So we pray that you would empower, surround, come under these words, and Lord, that you would minister to and speak to your people. Your name we pray, amen. So my previous job, I used to travel around the country to different churches trying to get them to walk in the way of Jesus, to engage in the mission of God. And without exception, most people in most of these churches really wanted their churches to be like a Book of Acts church. Seriously, if I would sit and talk with them, they wanted God to move in power in their church. They wanted to see miracles happen. They wanted to see people come to know Jesus in their churches. They wanted to see life-changing movement that looked a lot like what happened in the original church. But most people were confused because when they looked at their churches, they thought, my church doesn't really resemble much about the book of Acts. I don't know what's going on. Why has our church lost its influence? Why is it not as powerful as the book of Acts church? Why has God seemingly turned his face away? Why does God move differently now? What's happening? I want my church to be this amazing, powerful place, and it's just kind of flatlined. I have to admit, I used to wonder some of those same things myself, and still sometimes do. And in my search for answers, I ran across this theme that I think may have a little bit of the answer for us. My friend Charlie wrote about his time in seminary. He says that a teacher taught him the most important lesson on the first day of seminary. He said his professor drew two lines on the chalkboard. So he put, drew a line like this, and he said, this line is all the knowledge you're going to gain over the next three years of seminary. You're going to get all this knowledge, you're going to just store it all up. And then he said, he drew a second line, and he said, this is the line that represents all the stuff you'll be able to put in practice from all the stuff you learn. So you're going to learn all this stuff, and this is what you're going to be able to put in practice. And then he said, then he drew this. He, he drew this and said, see that gap right there? He said, every one of us should be really careful to mind the gap. To pay careful attention to the gap between what we know, what we hear from the Lord, and what we're actually able to put into practice. Now, I thought Charlie was onto something. I thought the seminary professor was genius. And then I went to a conference, and this guy, Steve Moore, made this bold statement. When the gap between knowledge and obedience gets larger, spiritual power decreases. Steve claimed that most people had adopted a knowing-based definition of spiritual maturity, while the New Testament church had an action-based definition. He said that rapidly moving, disciple-making movements built by people have a lot to do with knowing very little and doing a lot. He said, we in the American church, we know a lot, but we do very little. So the gap is much larger in the American church, which may explain why the power is much decreased in the American church. I started thinking about this and thought, wow, in my own life, this is true. I've learned all kinds of things about what Jesus wants me to do. I have a real hard time putting them into practice on a regular basis. I mean, think about it. Love your enemies? Is Jesus crazy? Right? Do good to those who persecute you? Right? Serve those? Pick up a towel? Love people everywhere. I mean, I, there's a million things like, wow, I have a real hard time putting this all into practice. I've often failed in my spiritual life to actually put into practice the things that I've actually learned from God. I wonder if God is just waiting for a group of people 
to actually mine the gap, to actively engage in his mission, to actually decide we're going to actually put into practice the things that Jesus has told us to do. Charlie, Charlie Davis, in his book, writes this. Because of this lesson that he learned in seminary, I no longer pursued knowledge as an end in itself. Knowledge was important, but something way beyond knowledge. Transformed behavior triggered by obedience. Even though my knowledge of God's word would always be partial, and my experience would always be incomplete, I could learn to hear and obey the voice of God. But Stephen Charlie didn't actually dream this idea up. Jesus talked about it a long time ago when he was walking on planet Earth. You heard the parable. We'll read it again. Look at this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Now, one of the mistaken interpretations of this passage is that we always say, well, it's all about accepting Jesus into your life and having a relationship with Jesus, and that's how you build your house on the rock. But that's not what the passage says. It says you hear the words of Jesus and you put them into practice. That is building your house on the firm foundation, on the rock. That's a little different than just having this relationship. So it is a relationship with Jesus, but it's not a knowing relationship. It's not about knowing. It's about actually doing something with what you know. It's about obeying what Jesus is talking, telling you to do. In fact, Jesus talks about this in another place in the book of Matthew. He says this on Matthew 21. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. The son said, I will not. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said that the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did, did what his father wanted? The first they answered. Now the question is, is Jesus bashing, knowing, studying, learning? No. But he's reminding us to mind the gap. He's reminding us that spiritual power increases when we mind the gap. It's the same gap that Steve talked about, that Charlie's professor talked about. You know, when I was a young, younger dad and my kids were growing up, I would often give orders about what had to happen on Saturday morning chores or whatever. And of course, the word I would always hear is, okay, dad, okay, dad, we got it, we got it. And then I would go check on the okay dad things that they got, and very often, what they said they were gonna do didn't get done. <laughs> yeah. Now, seriously, as a father, as a parent, you wanna just pull your hair out of your head at some point, don't you? Like, why can't these kids get this? What's wrong with them? My kids didn't know how to mind the gap. Unfortunately, the church today, we do a little bit of mimicking this. We say to God, okay, God, okay, God, we got it. And then God comes and checks on us, and we haven't done anything that we said we got, or we've done very little, or we've done less than what we said we got. Right? So our de definition of spiritual maturity is knowledge-based, where scriptures is knowledge and doing together, coming together in this amazing relationship. The rabbis said this. They said it's not enough to know the story, to learn the story, to discuss the story, to study the story. You have to become part of the story. How does that happen? Through obedience. Through obedience. Now, 
Why is this so important? I'm going to try to explain this to you. This, this is a, out of the book, Making Disciples Across Cultures by Charlie Davis, this friend of ours. And this whole series, and in the mix, we kind of based on some of his stuff. This guy, Paul Hebert, a missionary and anthropologist, developed a graph to explain how important obedience is. I'm going to put it on the screen. Okay? See the outside circle of social institutions? If you travel to another culture, this is what you experience. You experience, you kind of pick up on, okay, in this culture, you know, we uh, don't put ice in our glass if we're in Europe. It's not what we do, right? We pick up all these cultural things, and there are all these outer things we pick up, and we learn how to behave in certain spots based on our culture. You know, people come in here, they immediately figure out some cultural things. If they observe things, they go, okay, hmm, this is a pretty quiet place. We don't do crazy stuff. No one's doing this during worship too much. Well, the wieners are, but no one else is really doing it, right? (laughs) I love that about them. All right, so, so, so you pick these things up. You, know, you, 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 you observe the outer culture. Then the next level, the next circle, represents this up here, the head. What you know is true and false about the world. It happens up here. The next circle down, the LD, that's your feelings, all the feelings you have inside about things. So you, you feel deeply about certain things and other things you don't feel so deeply about. And then the last circle, the, the core... The rock in which you build your life is actually the heart level. It's the part of you that where your passions come from, where you actually believe things are right and they're wrong, and you're willing to actually die on a hill for what you think is right. How does this work? Well, let me show you how it works. Let's say you're overweight, and you, up here in your head, you've got all the information about what you need to do to change your diet and your exercise patterns to get less overweight. But... When you eat ice cream and you eat donuts and you don't exercise, it feels so good, right? And you're like, man, I don't think I can actually stop eating ice cream and donuts long enough to get this weight off. And you never get your heart engaged through obedience and actually losing the weight. See how this works? Here's here's another example. Let's say you're a doctor and you know in your head all the dangers of Ebola, and you learn about an Ebola zone where Ebola is breaking out, and you feel the need, you feel, you feel like you should compassionately go and treat the patients in that zone where the Ebola is breaking out. And so because you think it's the right thing to do, and your heart is invested in that from what you feel, you decide, in spite of the dangers, to enter the Ebola zone and obey and treat the patients. This is obedience. This is where transformation begins to happen. So I think that Jesus actually understood this circle before Paul did, this anthropologist, because he said you need to build your house on the rock, the bedrock, and that is this place inside you that gets sort of convicted about this is the way I'm supposed to live my life based on what I've heard from God, and you're willing to die on that hill with your life and live those things out no matter what. Because that's just the way Christians do it. It's the way Jesus' followers do it. When you obey, transformation happens deep inside. When you take the words you've heard from Jesus and actually try to put them into practice, transformation begins to happen inside. You become a transformed person. I'll tell you a story. When I was in seminary, studying at seminary, learning all kinds of things, that, that first line, about what it meant to be a pastor, right? So I was going to class every day. I lived right down the street from the seminary. I walked to class every day. 
me and my roommate lived there and we walked to class and get all the genius, all the theology, all the genius stuff about me, a pastor, this is what pastors look like, what pastors do, this is what Jesus does. My next door neighbor, his name was John. John was old, super old, and he was by himself. And he would sit on his front porch as we were walking to seminary and we'd say hello to him every morning. And over the course of time, we struck up a conversation with John. We realized John was lonely. He was by himself. He was old. He didn't get many visitors. We never saw anyone come to his driveway. His family lived quite far away. And so we said to him, me and my new roommate, because we felt like we were hearing from Jesus, wow, we're studying to be pastors. Maybe we should do something for John. So we said, John, we're going to have you over for dinner. We're going to bring dinner over. We're going to do this dinner thing. We're going to get this done. Well, Days went by, weeks went by, months went by. We just kept walking by John. One morning, we woke up. There were ambulances and police cars in John's driveway. John had passed away three days before, and no one knew. They found him next to his bed. His daughter called because she tried to reach him, and he wouldn't answer the phone. In that moment... I realized that I did not mind the gap. I was learning all kinds of things about what it meant to be a pastor, but I couldn't make time for my neighbor, John. So the transformation that Jesus wanted to do in my life never happened. At least in that moment, I didn't figure it out. Jesus' parable continues. He says like this, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. The people in Jesus' day would have known what he was talking about because the soil in Israel is super hard until water hits it. When water hits it, it washes away. I was going to show you a video of pictures, but it would take too long. It's unbelievable what happens. It just literally washes away. And underneath that soil is the bedrock. If you're a good builder, you have to build in the bedrock, not on top of the soil, because even though it appears really hard, it's going to just wash away. Your house is going to crash. So when it comes to hearing the words of Jesus and not putting them into practice, you're literally building your house in the sand. We all are. We're not being transformed to the likeness of Christ and our church loses spiritual power because we don't mind the gap that Charlie was talking about, Charlie's seminary professor was talking about. Now this, this is an exercise that goes on all the time in life. So I was asked to speak in a public school, the only public high school in Charlevoix, Michigan, years ago. I had spoken in Colorado Challenge. There was a school counselor there and said, I want you to come speak at my school. I said, yeah, but I'm a pastor you're in a public school. You see, you can't talk, can't talk about Jesus, but it's still be good for kids to hear you, what you have to say. So I went there thinking, okay, I'm going to do this. I can't talk about Jesus, but I got to talk about like cool lessons in life. So I worked out this whole speech, and I was praying like, Lord, save me. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do here. And I'm, I'm praying for this, and I'm backstage, and I'm praying over this speech I planned and the drama club was going to sing a song right before I went out. You know what they did? They came out and they sang a Lion King song. And I sat in back and I, I felt the Holy Spirit saying, Klein, scrap your talk. Talk about the Lion King. Talk about identity. Talk about who we can become, who we are, who we're designed to be. Do that. Don't do your talk. Throw your talk away. 
I sat there for five minutes just like, oh, 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 oh. And then I did my talk. I didn't listen. I ignored what Jesus was telling me to do. I don't know what would have happened if I had actually talked about the Lion King. And it's not like I hadn't talked about the Lion King before. I used it at camp a thousand times. I had a whole thing about the Lion King. It could have been easy, but I didn't listen. This is a dynamic thing that goes on all the time. Jesus is speaking to us all the time from having given us instructions. Most of us hear these things and then we don't mind the gap and we just don't put them into practice. So our lives are built on the sand. The book of James weighs in on this. Look at this, the message version. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you're anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror, walk away, and two minutes later have no idea who they are, what they look like. But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of the corner of his eye and sticks with it, is no distracted scatterbrain, but a man or woman of action. That person will find delight and affirmation in the action. Years ago, we were doing a Bible reading as a family. I don't remember how old the kids exactly were. But I don't know even how we got them all together. It's kind of a miracle, right, that we did a Bible reading as a family. We had all the kids gathered together. We, we were doing First Peter. So First Peter opens like this. It says, uh, uh, to God's elect strangers in the world. So the kids started talking about it, and you know, we, we talked about and they, they thought this was cool that we were God's chosen. That's cool. And, th and then we started talking about what's it mean to be strangers in the world? Like if you're in a foreign country, it would be f weird, strange. You'd have different customs, different weird stuff going on around you. It'd be really weird. And then, then I asked the question, are we strangers here in the world or do we fit right in? And that led to a whole discussion about TV, PS4s, our music and movie choices. I mean, the whole thing went on. It was, it was crazy. The kids were getting it. And then, my oldest son, Ben, suddenly the lights came on. And he's like, I, I gotta get the quote right here. <laughs> he said, great. I hope this doesn't mean we have to change now. <laughs> he was like, you mean to tell me now we're doing this Bible verse, you know, you want me to change? I'm not doing that. That's exactly how most of us feel. I was like, well, this is a great moment. Like, my 10-year-old my son is, is just speaking right out here, out of the mouth of a kid, right? So as you sit here this morning, you got to think about this. Reading God's word, hearing God's word, hearing God's voice should change us. It should change the way we live, period. And the spiritual power that the church is lacking is because we haven't minded the gap. Right? It should change us. So how are you doing in this? You know, how are you doing? Are you, are you feel like you're... You're unlocking the power of God in your life because you're listening to the Lord and following his instructions? Or are you one of these people that's not quite sure if you really want to obey or be changed like my son Ben wasn't so sure back in the day? You know, seriously, when someone hears God's voice and listens, that's when things really happen in the world. My wife went to India, I don't know, it was probably... 15 to 16 years ago, she went with a company called Trading Hope who was trying to take artisans from India, their, their stuff that they were making, bring it back to America and help it be sold for a fair price and then bring the money back to India. So she was there in Kolkata, India, and she met Annie and Carrie Hilton. Annie and Carrie Hilton are New Zealand citizens. 
They were sitting in New Zealand and they heard God say to them, I want you to move to India and start a business. Okay? So they listened. They picked up. They headed to India. And by accident, literally, no idea, moved into the middle of the red light district in Kolkata, India. When Pam met them, she's, Annie told her, yeah, we, we didn't know what we were doing. We just moved right in here. We had no idea we were in the middle of the red light district here. But they decided to trust God and lean in. They prayed over the complexity of the women that were there. And they started a, a company called Free Set Bags. You can look this up on the internet, Free Set Bags. Their mission's amazing. They're still going. And their mission was to give women trapped in the sex trade in Kolkata, India, an economic alternative, creating an option so they have a choice as to how they make money. So basically they did it. Started this company. My wife visited. Uh, they employed 200 plus women. Unbelievable. And there's stories all over the website of the women being freed, given hope. They're born in this place where they think their only option is to get in the sex trade, even as little girls. And because of free set bags, in the middle of the light district, they're being given hope and a way out. There's story after story in here. Um, this is, this is Kekluwi. Kek I'm not sure I can say it right. I'm not very good at it. Is there a picture there or not? No? Yes? There it is. Um, she grew up, her mother was a sex trade worker in the red light district. And now because of free set bags, she has a job. She's moved out of the red light district and her children have hope. Now, I get it. Some of you are sitting here going, well, I'm not going to move to India. Okay, I get it. That's fine. But the question is, you want to see the power of God move through your life? What's Jesus asking you to do? What's he asking you to do? Maybe it's just walk across the street and talk to your neighbor. Maybe it's simpler. Maybe it's more difficult. I don't know. But I, I believe that the church gains traction and power when we decide to listen and put into action the words of Jesus that we've heard. So we're going to close this sermon this morning because I think probably every sermon we should probably ask this question. Is there anything Jesus wants you to do based on what you've heard this morning? So I'm, we're going to be quiet for a minute, totally silent for one minute. It's going to seem like an eternity. Maybe it's not long enough to hear what Jesus wants you to do. I want you to just ask Jesus that question and listen. Is there anything you want me to do, Jesus, based on what I've heard?